Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Premier League preview show with me, Russell Hargreaves, as we build up to another massive weekend in the English top flight. It's back after a brief break for the third round of the FA Cup and coming up, former Liverpool striker Neil Mellor joins us to build up to what for many is the big game of the weekend, Liverpool versus runaway leaders Manchester City. Former Arsenal defender Reese Weston guides us through the Gunners' all-important trip to Bournemouth and the ex-Chelsea striker Sam Parkin helps us look ahead to the Blues against Leicester City. We'll also touch on all the other seven games and much more with so much at stake at both ends of the table on this, the Premier League preview show. Our first stop is Anfield. Sunday afternoon at 4pm UK time is Liverpool versus Manchester City. And I'm delighted to say that the former Reds forward, Neil Mellor, who'll be part of our commentary team alongside Phil Blackett, joins us now. Neil, how's it going? Yeah, hello, Russ. Looking forward to this. What an almighty test for your former team against this City team, who are just just imperious, aren't they? Yeah, I think we're all looking forward to the game. But you say it's going to be a test for Liverpool. It's going to be a test for Manchester City. You know, I think um, Manchester City have been absolutely superb this season. There's no doubt about that. Being an incredible unbeaten run in terms of the Premier League. Um, but, but this is one game where you're thinking... Liverpool will really test this defence, this Manchester City defence, and test this unbeaten run. I mean, Liverpool's form has been very, very good, hasn't it, in recent months, and and particularly Mm. in the Premier League. And I still wonder whether one or two people don't quite realise that because of City's brilliance. It's kind of seen one or two other teams almost be glossed over with how well they're actually doing. Well, well, I'll tell you, Liverpool are unbeaten in 17 games. Absolutely flying. Um, There's been a real... Feel good factor about Liverpool, a real momentum. Uh, I think the arrival of Van Dijk helped that also as well because there was a lot of criticism at times, certainly during the season, about Liverpool's defensive issues. And uh, and certainly the arrival of Van Dijk is seen to, to hopefully help in, in those areas. And one of Liverpool's main strengths has been going forward, the way Liverpool have created so many chances. Uh, and one of the way Liverpool play is that counter-attacking football, the way they turn defence into attack so quickly. And that's where I think they'll get joy against Man City because City, as we know, like to play open football. They like to get forward, like the, the full-backs to get forward and get involved. And that could be an opportunity for Liverpool to show their strengths with the counter-attacking football. 
Well, let's maybe focus on that first then, Neil. And Mohamed Salah involved in, what, 22 goals in his opening 21 Premier League games for Liverpool. 17 goals, five assists. Missed the cup action. Newly crowned African Footballer of the Year, of course. And and hopefully back and with another role to play, clearly. Big player. Big player for Liverpool. Obviously, having lost Coutinho this week, which was a a huge blow, he's, um, he's become... A very important player for the team, Salah. I think when he arrived, because of the way Mane performed last season, he was seen as such an important key player with Coutinho. But since Salah's arrived, he's, he's taken the pressure away from Mane, taking the pressure away from Coutinho, and really stood out as a standout player for Liverpool this season. Some of the goals he scored have, have been quite incredible, and he really suits the way Jurgen Klopp wants to play that quick counter-attacking football and the pace he has. You think about. You know some of the defenders in the Premier League. There's not many that can keep up with Salai. Such a quick lad, um, and and scores so many goals. It's been absolutely outstanding from him. All this talk about whether or not Naby Keita is going to come in early from RB Leipzig, regardless, Neil, do you see Liverpool reinvesting some of that cash from Coutinho in addition to Van Dijk in the next few weeks? Yeah, I do. I, I think there will be some um, additions coming in in general, certainly if, if it can be done. I know Kate has been mentioned. I, I don't think that will be likely. I think um, they've been pretty clear that we'll have to wait till the summer. And um, the, what you would say is, though, Coutinho going as, as big a player as he has been for Liverpool, and he's been a great influence in terms of the, that creative player in the final third for Liverpool. When Liverpool lost Luis Suarez a few years ago, it was, it, it was a huge problem because they didn't have a team, they didn't have the players to really step up and, and replace what was Suarez and, and the influence he had. The difference is, this time Coutinho going, Jürgen has created a team at Liverpool where Liverpool don't rely on one individual. It's not all about Coutinho in, in the Liverpool team. Yes, it's a big blow I'm going because of the talent he is, but what Jürgen's created is a team where all of the players can contribute, whether it's Salah, whether it's Mane, whether it's Firmino, Lalana back to full fitness, Oxlade-Chamberlain learning and developing the way Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool want to play. So there's other players who can contribute with the absence of Coutinho. Now you mentioned Neil Jurgen Klopp. In all competitions, no opposing manager has beaten Pep Guardiola more often. He's done it four times, the same number as Jose. That's going to give him a little, little boost, shall we say, in the background. Yeah, well, well, it's not easy to do. You know, Pep, he's gone in there, um, was building in his first season and, and didn't succeed in terms of winning anything. And at Manchester City, they are expected to be competing and winning things. So this season, as they've shown, they've dominated the Premier League so far. What are they, 15 points clear? They've, they've progressed from last season. They've been absolutely superb. And it's very difficult to beat them, as it's been proven this season. I think it's only Shakhtar Donetsk in the, in the Champions League. Uh, and they'd already won the group by, by that point, Manchester City. So it's going to be tough. Um, but we're hoping that there'll be a few instances. The fact that Jürgen has a good record against Pep. Pep the, the fact that City have such a poor record travelling to Anfield in, in recent years. And, uh, and hopefully the attack of Liverpool can really test this defence of Manchester City and, and hopefully and this unbeaten run which has been superb from City so far. It really has, hasn't it? And during that run, City winning the reverse fixture 5-0 back in September. Mm. I appreciate there's been a lot of water under the bridge since then, but they've not mm-hmm. done the double in the league against Liverpool for nearly 80 years, 1936 to 1937. That is yeah. something to uh, certainly for them aim for, isn't it? It would be quite a historical achievement. Yeah, it was a big game back in September. I remember it was just on the back of an international break. Liverpool were absolutely flying going into that international break. And City 
hadn't been that convincing at the start of the season. I think they've got a late victory at Bournemouth. So they went into this game not showing the form that they have done in terms of where they're at now compared to where they were at. Um, the, the, big in, the big incident was the red card to Mane. You know, had he stayed on the pitch, I think it would have been a more competitive game. But City showed, with the quality they have going forward, uh, the problems they can cause you. If you're not at it defensively, this City team will open you up time and time again. And they were ruthless in that second half, scoring what five goals in the end to win comfortably. I mean, some absolutely brilliant players. And uh, Sergio Aguero, I'll just bring up first of all, who scored more Premier League goals against Liverpool than any other Manchester City <laughs> player. Uh, Aguero, for someone who at one point didn't maybe appear to be flavour of the month when Jesus came in, boy, as he just re-reminded everybody what a brilliant player he is. Yeah, he is. I, you know, he, he will be in that that small list of City's greatest ever players, Aguero, because of... The amount of goals he's contributed to throughout his time there. He's a South American. He's come over and and he's stuck it out at Man City. You know, he's been part of this um, building process to what is a very dominant force in terms of always competing at the top end of English football. And he's such a threat inside the penalty area. His movement's outstanding. His finishing ability is there. Um, and the players around will create those opportunities. So I think he's a massive player for Manchester City. I think he has been, and Liverpool will have to be mindful of his movement and the threat he has. Now, Kevin De Bruyne, again, absolutely outstanding, despite that potential injury niggle. He came back within days and keeps scoring, keeps assisting. You look at how Pep Guardiola's improved massively, the likes of Raheem Sterling, Leroy Sané's coming on. It's a mm-hmm. remarkable set of options, isn't it, that City have? A little bit, like you made the point with Liverpool as well, sharing it around a bit. Yeah, well, it is. You take one of those players out, as has been proven with Jesus, and they're still creating so many chances, still scoring plenty of chances. So that they have that throughout the side. I think Fernandinho is a big player for them. You know, he sits just in front of the defence there and allows De Bruyne, David Silva, to get on the ball and, and really create those chances for the attacking players. The thing about City is that, uh, and we talk about how great they are going forward, I'm not sure how how much that defence has really been tested at times this season. And we, we've been impressed with Edison coming over. He made a big save, didn't he, at 2-1 against Manchester United to make sure they won that game away from home. But this is a real chance for Liverpool to test this City defence, to see how good they are, because we know how good they are going forward. But it'd be interesting to see how good they are defensively. Just how key, then, is this Anfield factor? You've talked briefly about how Liverpool are unbeaten in what, I think it's their last 14 Premier League home games against City, Mm. isn't it? Ten wins, four draws. Last time they lost was 2003. Um, It is a very special place, and I guess all the more special now it's an even bigger venue as well. Yeah, it's it's been a great addition, the new main stand built at Anfield there. Um, Liverpool haven't been beaten at home this season. That's impressive. It's now a, a tough place to come to. There's been a few frustrating performances in terms of teams taking away a point when perhaps it shouldn't have been by um, coming to Anfield and frustrating Liverpool, getting everyone behind the ball. But City won't do that. City will come the way Pep believes in, in playing football with the players he has and will have a go at Liverpool. So I, I think it will be a really entertaining game to watch and, uh, and it will be about taking your chances, taking those chances when they come about to make sure the momentum swings your way in the game. Neil Mellock, former Liverpool striker, alongside Phil Blacker. For everyone listening outside the UK and Ireland from 4pm Sunday UK time, Liverpool against Manchester City. Neil, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Cheers. Neil Mellock joining us on the Premier League preview show. Loads to look forward to. Up next, we talk to Reese Weston, head of Arsenal's trip to Bournemouth. <laughs> 
This is the Premier League preview show. I'm Russell Hargreaves as we now look ahead to another of our big commentary games outside the UK and Ireland over the course of the weekend to come. 1.30 on Sunday lunchtime UK time is Bournemouth versus Arsenal at the Vitality Stadium. Pleased to say that the man I'll be commentating alongside, Reese Weston, the former Arsenal defender, joins us on the show now. Reese, how's it going? Very well, thank you. Very well. How are you, sir? Yes, not too bad. Looking forward to this one. From an Arsenal point of view, we'll start there. Your former club, this is just massive, isn't it? It's huge that they get a Premier League win. Every game for Arsenal currently is huge. Um, And none more so than this weekend against Bournemouth, which incidentally won't be an easy game. Uh, I just had such an inconsistent season once again, the Gunners. And, you know, in, in the... The context of the season, you know, nothing but a win will do at this stage. No, I completely agree with you. And from the Gunners' point of view, Reese, this is a game that they probably should win, but away from home this season has been particularly tough, hasn't it? They just can't seem to either take chances or even get enough of a stranglehold, enough of a foothold in some of these games. No, it's a strange one. I think they've won two, maybe three away from home all season, which for a team of Arsenal's stature is nowhere near good enough. And a team that has designs on mounting challenges for trophies, you know, away form is so vitally important. And, you know, the form book would suggest that Arsenal would be favourites to win. Um, and you look at the teams on paper and you'd suggest that Arsenal were strong enough to overcome Bournemouth. But I like Bournemouth. I like their philosophy. I like how Eddie Howe gets his sides playing. And they're fearless. You know, you, you very rarely see Bournemouth go down without a fight. And they're usually in games for, for a lot of time. Um, and they're, they're pleasing on the eye. They, they play the football that we like to see. They're back-to-front team. Um, and on their day, they can cause problems. And you know, my concerns for Arsenal are always defensively and then how open and vulnerable they are, especially when they're in possession. And I think Bournemouth are geared up to really, really cause Arsenal problems on the counter-pack especially. Well, let's maybe start then with Arsenal's rear guard. We saw Callum Chambers alongside Rob Holding, didn't we, at the back as part of the back three in the Carabao Cup semi-final first leg, who by hook or by crook kept a clean sheet against Chelsea. Um, There are lots of options at the moment with players coming back. I'm not sure that Wenger or anybody knows whether to play four at the back or five at the back and then which personnel to pick as well. Well, to be honest with you, I don't think it matters particularly whether they play three or it's a five or it's a four because... The way that Arsenal play, you know, both full-backs, whether they're playing wing-backs in, in Bearin, Maitland-Niles or, or Kolasinac, or they've got full-backs, you know, they both attack at the same time anyway. So it's, it all comes down to the middle of the pitch being, being protected. And that, for me, is the responsibility of the holding midfield players, which Arsenal don't seem to have. You know, Granit Xhaka was brought in as, as the, the security that's supposed to be the midfield general that holds, but he's not really that disciplined to, to sit in that position. Uh, and Jack Wilshere obviously now is looks like he's going to be out injured for a while. He was alongside him. Uh, so I don't think, you know, defensively for me, it doesn't just come down to the defenders, the back three or the back four. It's about, you know, the, the, the two players that sit in front of them giving the protection because, as I alluded to earlier on, you know, I feel that Arsenal are one of the most vulnerable teams in the Premier League when they're in possession because they're so gung-ho and they don't seem to have, you know, like Chelsea do and Angolo Kante, the one that's the disciplined and sits in that, that kind of, area doesn't look to go beyond the ball so when they do get caught out they've got someone there to pick up the pieces Arsenal don't have that uh, I, I prefer Arsenal with a back three to be perfectly honest with you because I think having it having the width of the box protected is, is helpful but you know reality is you know they've got to communicate better and they have to play regularly together to, to get an understanding which has been lacking for the last few seasons. Yeah, it is a major concern, isn't it? And you look at someone like Francis Cochrane, maybe not the best, but someone who did a stout 
defensive midfield job and he appears to be leaving. And then he's not maybe covered himself in immense glory this season and hasn't really kicked on. It is quite a problem, that, isn't it? The rear guard and, and how you defend in front of them. And then that impacts beyond that further up the field as well, if the stability isn't there. Absolutely. Well, I, I took the social media yesterday, you know, referring to the Cockerland transfer and, you know, whether, whether you rate him or not, as you rightly say, Russ, he, he is the most defensive-minded midfield that Arsenal have. And then he, again, is a little bit erratic, hasn't really adapted to the Premier League as of yet. So that leaves your options severely limited. And um, you know, it's such a vitally important position in modern football, that holding midfield position. And it is, it is the, the insurance policy and it gives the creative players ahead the license to go and express themselves without the worry of having to track back so much. You know, you know, look at Ozil and Sanchez and Lacazette and Awobi and, and Ramsey, you know, these guys they're not they're not disciplined enough to do the defensive work and you need somebody that's gonna do that. Uh, and unfortunately that's a position that Arsenal have been looking to fill for, for a number of seasons, having quite found the right character to do that yet. We managed to go five minutes without mentioning the S word, but we now have which is Alexis Sanchez. Um Goodness knows what's happening, if he's leaving, when he's leaving, if it's to Manchester City. It can't be ideal, can it? This distraction that is ongoing with a man out of contract at the end of the season and one who's played such a fundamental role in the club in recent years, but but probably won't for much longer. No, I think it's something that needs to be addressed and put to bed very quickly. Um, You know, I I haven't been particularly shy in my criticism of Alexis Sanchez this season. Uh, And that has nothing to do with me rating him as a player. He's, he's a fantastic player. You know, some would argue world-class. But, you know, he, last season he was Arsenal's talisman. You know, when things weren't going particularly well, he was the one that Arsenal turned to to dig them out of a hole. And he would almost carry the team at, in, at, at times. But since the Manchester City side has presented itself, it's no surprise that his head's been turned. And again, it'll be hypocritical of me to say that I wouldn't be I wouldn't be tempted by the, the allure of going to a club like City with the, the wealth they have at their disposal, but it needs to be addressed. You know, it's obviously unsettled him. It's obviously unsettled other players within the dressing room because of, you know, there's no smoke without fire. And some of the reports coming out of the club would suggest that people aren't particularly happy with how Alexis has conducted himself. You know, let's not you know, detract from him as a player. As I said, he, he's a tremendous talent, but if he's not going to be committed to the cause, then you're far better cutting ties, letting him, let him go to passes new and look to find someone else to come in that's going to that's gonna carry Arsenal forward, whether that be Thomas Lamar for a 90 million plus or however it may be. They're going to have to invest big money to replace someone like Alexis Sanchez. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. Alexandra Lacazette, just one more question on the Gunners. No goals in seven now in the Premier League. It's his longest run without a goal in any of the top flights he's played in since 2013. How worried are you by his kind of lack of confidence as much as anything at the moment, it feels to me? See, I, I'm not too worried about that, to be perfectly honest, because I, I've looked at his performances and I think he brings a lot more to the team than just goals. You know, he's, he's such a diminutive character. He's not, you know, of the, of the stature of Olivier Giroud, but he holds the ball up really well and his link-up play's been great. You know, he's not afraid to take the ball under pressure. He's not afraid, afraid to take contact and he brings other players into play. And he must be so frustrated because it seems to be every time you tick toward the 75-minute mark, you know almost that his number's going to go up and he's going to be dragged off. And it... He just needs a bit of love and I think a bit of a bit of reassurance that he's the main man. Obviously, Barcelona invested a lot of money in his talent in the summer, and we know that he can score goals. Um, and it's just a case of now, given being given the belief that he's still the main man, and that I've no doubt in my mind that the creative players that Arsenal have, he will be given chances, and he will eventually start converting those chances. He just needs to be given a bit of love and confidence from the powers that be 
to keep him motivated and keep pushing to, to get on back on the score sheet. Right, Reese. So Arsenal currently sits two points behind Spurs in fifth and five points behind Liverpool in fourth, having played the same number of games, 22. At the other end of the table, Bournemouth's fears equally as, as key to them and, and very different, aren't they? They are one point in two places above the dreaded bottom three. Do you fear for them? A little bit. A little bit. I, again, I, I, I touched on it briefly at the start of the show that you know, I like the way Bournemouth play and I, I like their, their ethos and their philosophy and how they, they go about and they conduct themselves. But the reality is, pretty football doesn't necessarily manifest itself in points. And that's where Eddie Howe's team are really struggling at the moment. Scoring goals is an issue. And when, you, when you're scoring less than you're conceding, you're always going to be in trouble. It's a pretty, pretty basic statement, but that's the fact of the matter at the moment. And, you know, I, I think Bournemouth will have just about enough um, because I think there are worse teams around them. But it's going to be troubling. They're well within you know, a relegation battle already. I'm sure Eddie Howe's aware of that. You know, he's very positive and forthcoming in the media. He doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't hide away from, from questions. But the reality is Bournemouth are probably one of six teams that could potentially go down. And they need to start picking up points quickly. And again, playing Arsenal at this stage might not be the worst thing in the world for them because with the gun of the waveform, as wretched as it has been this season, you know, it may take a scalp like Arsenal to really kick start Bournemouth's revival and get them moving back up the table. Now, my take on the Cherries, and I'm sure we'll explore this more in our build-up to our commentary together on Sunday, Rhys, but there are a lot of players who are kind of stalwarts of the club, who came and were with them in their journey from League One, the Championship, guys now who perhaps have found their ceiling and, and maybe have just gone over the hill. And, and Eddie's been very, very loyal to six or seven key members of his first-team squad. One or two players he's brought in, I think of Jordan I being a classic example, they haven't really improved that collective. And I just wonder if it's all a little bit stale. Yeah, you might well be right. Uh, and it's, it's testament to how the club's run, in all fairness, how, how loyal he has been to the players that got Bournemouth to the Premier League. But the, the issue is, I mean, how, how, how are they going to refresh and galvanise a squad and lose seven key players? That's the issue. So, you know, it's going to be a progressive thing. And I think I'm sure... I'm sure Eddie Howe is aware of that fact, and he'll be looking to, to recruit throughout this month and, and moving into the summer. But, you know, I think survival has got to be the most important factor for Bournemouth, and they can worry about the personnel, you know, when they get to the summer. But something's going to have to change drastically. They're going to have to freshen things up and bring in new blood, younger players, players with Premier League experience. You know, if Bournemouth can stay up again, you know, that gives them a little bit more kudos to attract a slightly higher calibre of player, perhaps and hopefully put them in a position to, to make themselves a little bit more comfortable in the Premier League. Well, just finally then, Reese Arsenal fought back from three down to earn a point in this corresponding fixture last season, but they've drawn one and won five head-to-head Arsenal against Bournemouth. How do you honestly feel this is going to go, and why, if you're going to pick out perhaps a, a key battle area? Well, I covered it last season uh, for, for TalkSport International, and I was cursing <laughs> Arsenal's um, defensive uh, inabilities at that at that stage as well, and I, I think it'll be an open, free-flowing game. Neither team really is set up to defend. Um, I think you know, Callum Wilson, if he's fit, I think he can cause a few problems. You know, he's he's one that will run the channels. He'll he'll hustle, he'll harry, and Arsenal don't tend to do too well against the more traditional striker types. But you know, if Arsenal they turn up and they equip themselves properly. Uh, I think they should have too much in terms of their creative abilities to, to beat Bournemouth, but I think it's going to be an open, free-flowing game, and I'm expecting a, a fair few goals from the fixture. 
1.30 on Sunday outside the UK and Ireland. My good self and this man, Reese Weston, commentating on Bournemouth against Arsenal. I'll uh, catch you then, pal. Cheers, buddy. You're listening to the Premier League preview show. Up next, we'll build up to one of the big games on Saturday. The focal point for many of the three o'clock kickoffs is Chelsea against Leicester. We'll talk about that game with Sam Parkin next. This is the Premier League preview show. Six games taking place on Saturday at 3pm UK time. I guess for many, the big one is Chelsea against Leicester, the current Premier League champions against those who pulled off the fairy tale to be the champions of a year prior. Adam Bridge and former Blues striker Sam Parkin are our commentary team outside the UK and Ireland. I'm pleased to say that Sam joins us now. How's it going, mate? Hi, Russell. How are you doing? Very yeah, well, pretty good, thank you. Um, yeah, two champions of recent times. They've had, at times, kind of up and down spells since, haven't they? But of the two, Chelsea come in as the form team, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, given the lack of goals in the last couple of games, in the last couple of cup games, people think there's a, something of a bit of a, a mini-crisis at Chelsea. But I think it can be fair from the truth, really. I think just that West... Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Sam defeat uh, in the last 17 games, so um, maybe drawing too many of the recent games, but uh, in fine form, especially at Stamford Bridge, and uh, just need to get back on the goal-scoring trail. That's what's been letting them down. Um, and I think that's what was uh, the problem in the last couple of games. Clearly, uh, Morata a little bit isolated, and I'd be amazed if we were to see Pedro or, or William uh, to make an attacking trio at the weekend. And uh, and Chelsea, you would think, good opportunity to get back to winning ways. Yeah, I was chatting to Neil Melly, your fellow former striker in the show a little bit earlier, talking about Liverpool. And we were saying with them that the Reds' actually very good glut of form has almost been forgotten about because of Man City's brilliance. And, and Chelsea actually in a similar boat to a degree, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, as uh, the Leicester season a few years ago was a bit of a freak, I think we're seeing something quite spectacular this year in regard to Manchester City's form. I mean, absolutely relentless. Uh, I think we all felt that they... Uh, would come good second year under Guardiola and certainly seems to be having a tremendous season. But yeah, I mean, Chelsea have been ticking along really nicely. Obviously got the Champions League uh, fixture against Barcelona to look forward to in the in the new year. And uh, not many defeats, but um, just a little bit of uh, a few of the top players like your Hazard, your Fabregas, Morata having a little bit of a dip at the moment. So 
be interesting to see what the January business is uh, in terms of players coming into the club. But, but certainly they're not completely at it at the moment. But I would imagine Leicester having been a bit streaky themselves recently, that Chelsea would have too much for them at the weekend. And Sam, that ongoing feeling that Antonio Conte, the manager, is uh, not happy with uh, the size and the quality of his squad. He makes various kind of pleas and points to Roman Abramovich, doesn't he, about it. Um, do you see there being quite a few new faces coming in over January? Because it's clearly what he wants, I guess, with his own future, not 100% sure as well. Yeah, I think a couple of the games when he shuffled the pack, um, there hasn't been enough of the fringe players standing up really and saying, you know, I deserve to be a regular in your side. And I think that's what's been the disappointing um, thing for him, really, in, in the, a couple of the Carabao Cup games, certainly. So I feel they need two or three more, definitely a, a striker. I felt that was a necessity in the summer. I thought Lorente would have been a good buy just for someone to, to, to be in reserve, really, in case the Morata uh, one didn't work out straight away. So I definitely think that a striker may come in. Obviously, the Ross Barkley deal is a good deal for Chelsea, another English midfielder into the squad. And, and maybe just one more um, would see them all right until the summer. But it's going to be interesting because players like Batshuayi, Kennedy, um, they've had opportunities now in the first team. And for one reason or another, Antonio Conte uh, doesn't really want to go with them. So I feel something has to give in this window or we could be hearing more noises from Antonio Conte saying that he may uh, flow the nest in the summer. Mm. Someone like Davide Zabacosta, at least, is finding a bit of form now. I don't think any goals or assists in 11 games, and then he's had a couple off the bench in his last two. So he's perhaps the kind of guy that others need to, to follow in, in really standing tall in the second half of the season, which is such a, a formative time in the calendar, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, still, you know, fighting on a number of fronts, Chelsea. It was always going to be the question whether they could maintain a challenge uh, in the Premier League uh, with the Champions League and obviously the other domestic cup competition. So it's in, it's vital that you have the fringe players, you know, playing a part when they're called upon. Uh, Zappa Costa, I think, has been a vital one given that Moses and Alonso are so integral uh, to the way Chelsea play. I think we've seen it since that. Um, change in system when Antonio Conte lost a couple of games, high-profile games start of last year. Mm. Uh, those two have been incredible, the consistency. But when one or the other is missing, it's a real problem for Chelsea. You just you lose that you lose that balance straight away. It happened a few times with Moses last year. I remember the Crystal Palace game at home was a uh, a defeat on that day just because Pedro was um, having to play out wide. So definitely, maybe someone in that area. Zappacos has done a good job but maybe someone to be an understudy to Alonso would be sensible in the window as well. You and I were pretty fresh-faced youngsters when uh, Leicester last won at Stamford Bridge in the Premier League. It was September 2000, courtesy of Muzzy Izzet and a certain Stan Collimore. You throw that in, you throw in the fact that Chelsea have won the last seven home Premier League games against anyone as well. The bridge is going to be a big factor in this one, isn't it? Yeah, you'd think so. I mean, Leicester obviously are very, very good at home. Um, and uh, they've had a few wobbles recently. Obviously lost a couple of away games at, at Liverpool and at, and at Watford, but got some really talented players in their team. I saw them live against Palace. They, they lost 3-0 on that day. But, I mean, you know where they are now compared to where they were prior to winning the title, it's completely different now. Just the feeling around the place. You know, it's a, it's a proper football club. Once again, Leicester now with some outstanding players. I mean, the numbers again for Jamie Vardy and Mahrez this season, very good. Mahrez creating and, and scoring goals. So th- that is the biggest thing for them, really, keeping hold of him in this window um, to aid Jamie Vardy in the, the goal-scoring um, terms. And um, 
no, I think it'll be a difficult game uh, for Chelsea. They always pose a threat on the counter-attack with Vardy's pace. He loves playing up against the, the top six clubs. Um, but, it, you know, it's a difficult a difficult game for them facing after, like I said, a bit of a streaky period when they've only won one game in six, I think. Yeah, we saw Puel come in, do brilliantly for a while, far better than I expected. I've got to say, I was a little bit sceptical of that appointment. Then they had a bit of a blip. That victory, though, against Huddersfield in their last Premier League game just gives them that momentum again. They're back up to eighth. They're looking up rather than down. And I just wonder whether the juices will flow and the memories of a couple of seasons ago with the likes of Mares and Fardy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even though they've lost a couple of lads to, to Chelsea, uh, the main sources of goals uh, remain for them. And, and having that hard work, in, whether it be Okazaki or Slimani alongside Vardy as well, uh, they've got a talented of, talent of Damari Gray as well in a wide area, all Brighton still at the football club. So, you know, there's a, they've still got a lot going for them, Leicester, and it's built on that solid foundation as well. Some of the players that remain from that title season in terms of Smichael and, and Morgan, you add to that the class of Maguire as well. Like I said uh, a few minutes ago, it's a, it's a good club and it's a good side still now who have... Um, you know, deserve their place in the, in the upper echelons of the Premier League now after doing it consistently for a few seasons. And I think we've been surprised by a number of managers this year, uh, Russell. So you've got to be careful when they, they get a gig now uh, in terms of the Allardyce <laughs> and Moyes and Puel. I think we've been very quick to write people off, even Roy Hodgson doing an amazing job at Palace. So Claude Puel has obviously got something about him, um, had success in France, wonderful thing at Southampton. And it's probably a case of... Uh, be careful what you wish for. The Southampton fans um, seem to have fitted in beautifully at Leicester. If Vardy seems to save a lot of his goals these days in the Premier League for the big six, doesn't he? He scored 22 goals in 41 appearances against those that are right near the top of the table. Mares is often a big game player as well. And I've just got a funny feeling whether it might be a game where those two just pick a, a surrounding like the bridge as a time to maybe deliver if, if they have that opportunity. Yeah, Vardy's... Brilliant record. Um, you would think that teams would have worked out how to play against him, but um, if he's not on the shoulder, he can be very aggressive attacking crosses. He gets um, a decent amount of chances in the air as well. Obviously, it's always going to be that little ball slid down into the channel, which uh, Mares is always a really good architect in those situations. So they'll cause considerable threat. He's in good goal-scoring form at the moment against the big clubs, scored against the Manchester uh, clubs earlier on in the month. So... Um, he'll be in fine fettle, especially given that he missed the, the, the game the other day. So he should be um, really looking forward to getting back out there. And Mahrez, uh, we don't know what the future uh, holds for him at the moment. If he is looking to get away, he still needs to keep producing. Uh, if he's not to be in the January window, then I'm sure there'll be uh, various suitors in the summer. He needs to maintain his form because he's uh, been in incredible, uh, incredible form in the last few weeks. Let's finish, if we can, then back on your former team in the form of Chelsea. And Sam, they currently sit third. They're a point behind Man United in second. They're two points ahead of Liverpool in fourth. What do you think will be their finishing position in the league this season? Top one, I think we can safely say, is gone for everybody. But fifth, sixth, still not that far behind if Spurs or Arsenal can go on a tear. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any reason why they can't maintain uh, the form. Um, and, and get that second spot. I think the, the home form has been very good. They've encountered a certain degree of problems when they're playing up against teams that sit very deep away from home. A couple of shutouts recently. Obviously, the West Ham one, they, they were beaten, and Everton, they failed to, to breach their defence as well. So I think it's, um, it's adding a little bit more firepower to help Morata 
and, and, and obviously seeing, you know, what happens in the next rounds of the, the, the relative cup competitions. And it was a question at the start of the, the season. It was a question, you know, I spoke about a few minutes ago, it's whether they can maintain the fight on all fronts. And um, I think if they progress to the latter stages of the domestic cup competitions and the Champions League, it may just be too tight unless they do some incredibly good business in the, in the January window. But um, no, in terms of the, the league form, I, I think they're still probably second best behind uh, Manchester City and uh, be looking to maintain that. Sam Parkin will be alongside Adam Bridge outside the UK and Ireland. Chelsea versus Leicester is our featured 3pm UK time commentary game this coming Saturday. And uh, Sam, we look forward to hearing you then. Cheers, Russell. This is the Premier League preview show. In a couple of moments' time, we'll look ahead to the other seven games taking place across the course of this Premier League weekend. Great to have you company on the Premier League preview show. I'm Russell Hargreaves as we now take the opportunity to look ahead to the other seven games taking place in England's top tier over the course of the weekend to come. To help me do that very thing, delighted to say that David Walker, Talk Sports Football Editor, joins us. Dave, how are you keeping? I'm all right, Russ. How are you? Not too Thanks bad. Thanks for stepping Thank into the uh, not inconsiderable shoes of uh, Tom Rennie this week. They are it's big been, shoes. It's been nice for me. Actually, I've just let you get on with it and I've been, I'll have my feet up. Well, you've been dutifully going through a few stats on all of these games, most of which you've already got, of course, in your brain, but a few more <laughs> to add aside. Yeah. Um, seven to get through. We'll start, I think, with the Saturday evening game, UK time. Tom Rennie and Paul McVeigh, uh, the former Tottenham and Norwich midfielder, Northern Ireland International, of course, as well. They'll be behind the microphone, 5.30 UK time for Tottenham against Everton. What do we make of this one? Well, it's a it's a big game for for both teams because Everton, after having that initial sort of upturn in fortunes when Allardyce took over, uh, have had a few dodgy results lately, and some of the Everton fans grumbling already about what they new reality may be under Sam Allardyce, and they've been used to good football under the likes of Martinez and Koeman in the good times in the past, and they're not necessarily going to get that anymore. But they, you know, he will do what he does; he'll move them up the table, but they mm. could do with a result. And Spurs. As you mentioned with Sam, they're in that chasing pack to get into the top four. They're not too far behind. Three points outside the top four at the moment. If you know if Liverpool might lose against Man City, you would think at the weekend possibly they could get back in there. But it's despite them on paper, it's all it's not too bad. Is it? You look at that league table, look at the, the games, they've actually not lost in ten at Wembley, but it still hasn't been brilliant. That game last time out against West Ham, it was a difficult game yeah, for them. Yeah, I commentated on yeah. that game for us. I mean, the West Ham were, Great not, goals. They were not bothered about playing football, were they? They were just no. there to do a job. Tough commentary for the first 70 minutes. Yeah, and they did it, but there's been a number of games at this season where Spurs have had to come up against opponents who want to dig in and defend and make it difficult, and I could see Everton trying to do that, and I think it might be another one of those games where it's going to be tight, Spurs probably win it, but I don't think he'll be pretty. Spurs, Everton with Tom Rennie and Paul McVeigh. Um, let's take a look then at the other 3pm UK time games on Saturday. Of course, you can hear all of these by dipping into our uh, full live commentary of them. Crystal Palace, Burnley, first of all. I've seen a lot of Palace this season, fair bit of Burnley as well. I just wonder at home, with Burnley's little mini blip, if Roy's revolution might continue again. Well, maybe, but no side has drawn more away games than Burnley in the Premier League this season. They're very good at going away on the road and getting a point. Last season, they were hopeless on the road. Used to lose, mm. they lost pretty all but one game. Um, and this season, they've managed to grind out nil-nils, low-scoring draws. They don't give much away. I can see they're going to make it difficult for Palace. But an interesting stat that caught my eye about this game. So no player has won more Premier League penalties this season 
than a Wilfred Zaha for Crystal Palace, and you, you can understand why. Mm-hmm. And no player has conceded more individually than Burnley's James Tarkovsky. Good player, though, funnily enough. He's had a good season. He's part of Hargo's Harriers. So he was he was dropped on during his suspension. But that aside, <laughs> he's been a mainstay of my uh, mid-table well, fantasy league Burnley side. Burnley defenders are very good in fantasy football. Zaha's been doing a good job for me lately. He might get an assist or a goal for, for this penalty that inevitably is going to come on Saturday. But, you know, we've... Uh, We've we've talked a lot about Burnley on the show this season. We've been very impressed by Sean Dyche. We we actually thought they might struggle this season, but they made us look silly, and they've made a lot of people look silly, sitting as high as high as they are in the Premier League table. And it's all the more amazing that they've done it, making just eighteen changes to their starting eleven, yeah. which is the lowest of any team in the Premier League. You know they've had a lot of games over Christmas. They had Man City last weekend in the cup. They they made four changes to their lineup, which was by their standards unusual, but they had to. So we'll see whether, once we're now getting past Christmas and into the new year, is it going to catch up with them at some point? Are the fitness levels going to hold out? They've been lucky with injuries and suspensions. So far, so good. But Palace have been great since Hodgson came in. He's done what he always does. I mean, everyone, I think, had written him off after the England debacle last uh, two summers ago in, in, in the Euros. But he's confident in his abilities. He's come in. He's got them well drilled. They're much harder to beat, and it's been better. Okay, so Huddersfield against West Ham is another of the 3 p.m. Saturday kickoffs UK time. Mm. The Hammers, as we mentioned, with that hard-fought draw at the London uh, at, at Wembley, with a stunning goal. I love commentating on Pedro Obiang's strike. It was just oh. remarkable. Uh, away to Huddersfield, who is very hard to quantify. They've done really well. At home is clearly where most of their forte lies, but they're still prone to the odd bad result as as a team of their size, with all due respect, probably should yeah. be in the Premier League. Well, this is not exactly the battle of the entertainers, is it? Huddersfield, even when they do well, they don't score many goals. When they came up, they came up with a negative goal difference from the Championship last season. They they won a lot of games 1-0, they drew a lot, they really did scrape up. Even the final, they, they eventually went up on penalties, didn't they? Um, and West Ham, since Moyes has come in, they've much like we've just been talking about with Hodgson, he's tightened them up. He's got them organised. He's got them fitter. On, on average, this season, under Slavin Bilic in 11 games, they were averaging 105 kilometres per game, the West Ham players. Since Moyes has come in, it's gone up to 112. So they're, they're obviously working a lot harder. They are more organised. And I could, I could see them. I could see this one being really tight. I mean, it's a Huddersfield have got to take advantage when they're at home. They've got to get points against these teams who are down there in the in the bottom half of their table with them. Okay, let's move on to Newcastle United against Swansea City. Two teams near the foot of the table. Newcastle on a bit of a mini renaissance of late, but far from safe. And Swansea still rock bottom. And what do you make of the, the relatively new man at the helm in Carlos Carvajal? Well, I think we were all quite surprised when he took over. But his first game in charge, he won. Mm. Getting a win out of nowhere at Vicarage Road, two goals in the in the last two minutes of the game. And it may have been a fortunate result. You know, Watford may have thrown it away, but it's a win and it's a great confidence booster. They got a draw in the cup against Wolves last week, which many people thought they'd away they, from home, they, yeah. they might lose. Yeah. Wolves are doing so superbly in the in the championship at the moment. Um so there will be confidence back in those players, or at least it will they'll be starting to get more confident because clearly they've not been good enough this season. The goals, have, you know, it's been goals. That's been the problem. They haven't scored enough goals. And the same can be said of Newcastle, really. They don't really have anyone. Neither of these teams have a striker you can rely on. 
Yeah, I would concur. I still think Dwight Gale is maybe Newcastle's best bet, but he's been tried and dropped and tried and dropped, and the other options have hardly stood tall as well. Um, Watford, Southampton, are we, I presume you've outed your allegiance over time. Yeah, have you on oh, this yeah, show, yeah, of course. Yeah. Good, good, good. We've normally Golden done a lot boys. more Watford by this point <laughs> in the show. <laughs> Up against the Southampton team, who I commentated on last Tuesday for us when they led and then lost to Palace. And my goodness, was St Mary's unhappy with Maurizio Pellegrino. They've then had a a decent cup win against Fulham. They now head to your boys. This is, a, again, a tough one to quantify, isn't it? It's a big game for both teams. Both teams in desperate need of a, of a win, really, in the Premier League because Watford have only won uh, one in their in their last seven Premier League games, losing all the others. And that game was a, a slightly fortuitous one against Leicester City uh, over Christmas Boxing Day, that was. Um, been losing that game against Swansea was just really, you know, typical of... of what's been going on at Vicarage Road of late. They'd lost the game against Palace with two goals in the last minute, having been 1-0 up. They've thrown away points. It's, it's, it's turned from the start of the season where Richarlison was popping up with last-minute equalisers and, and winners to now they can't keep a, a, a draw, can't hold on to a win. And it's, it's concerning, really is concerning. And Southampton, you know, they're another team who I think on paper, Watford would probably think they should be winning this game with the players they have and the, the, the displays they have given at times this season, particularly against some of the bigger sides in the league. But how it's going, it's, it's going to be tricky. I think that win last week against Bristol City in the FA Cup for Watford was important. Deeney came back after his four-game suspension, scored. Carrillo scored again. Pereira looked good. So, you know, confidence was very low before that match, and hopefully it's been boosted slightly. Southampton are in a very tricky spell themselves. I think this is the sort of game Watford are going to need to score first, but they're going to need to score again. I think that they need to get a two-goal lead to win this match. Otherwise, I can see becoming very nervy towards the end. And Nathan Redmond, if he plays on Saturday, he loves scoring against Watford. He scored more against Watford than he has against any other opponent in the league. He doesn't get the licence to get forward and show his very best, does he? Which, as we understand it, is what Pep Guardiola was screaming in his ear after the City-Southampton game a few weeks ago. Anyway, two more teams, David, who have hardly had a great run of late, a West Brom and Brighton. The Seagulls have slipped down the table a tad. The Baggies at least got a win in the Cup last weekend to end their just unbelievably long record winless streak in all competitions. Yeah, and this is a massive game for West Brom. Brighton are not very good away from home. Much like Huddersfield, they've got the majority of their points uh, at the Amex down on the south coast. And West Brom have got to be looking at this as an opportunity to end that dismal run, build some confidence, get some life back into the, the, the setup there at the Hawthorns because it's been a miserable season for them so far. They've, they've seen absolutely no new manager bounce under Pardew, a manager known for going on streaks. If he can get this one, maybe they can win two, three or four matches or pick up some points and start to edge towards safety because uh, it's, it's not looking good for them at the moment. And Alan Pardew in particular, he's won just nine of the last 57 points available to him as a manager, stretching back to September 2016 when he was still in charge of, of Crystal Palace. So they, they need something from somewhere. I think I think this month is huge for them because they're obviously looking to bring in a striker. They've been linked quite heavily the last few days with Troy Deeney of Watford. I mean, I'm not certain that he would be the man who's going to come in and score the goals for them. Black country boy, isn't he? Getting back home, Walsall lad. Yeah, he probably might be a good time for him. I'm not sure, but I think they, they need to find goals from somewhere because, again, like, like a lot of these teams down there, they don't have a dependable front man. Rondon doesn't score enough goals. Rodriguez doesn't score enough goals. And, you know, it's difficult to see where they're going to come from. Quick word then to conclude. That was all the 3pm Saturday kickoffs UK time with the Monday night fixture, 8 o'clock. Again, 
live commentary. We can bring everyone outside the UK and Ireland. John Anderson and Matthew Etherington, formerly of Stoke City, as the Potters head to Manchester United. Stoke have got a, a terrible record at Old Trafford. When do you think the last time they won at Old Trafford was? In all competitions, this is... I'm going to say 1969. No, not quite far back. <laughs> exactly. 1976. Far off. Yeah. Still wasn't not, born. In their last 17 away trips against Man United in all competitions, they have failed to win, only drawing twice, losing 15 of those games. But look, that doesn't really matter as pertains to this Saturday. Uh, what matters is that they are in a tailspin at the moment. They have conceded so many goals. They have completely lost everything that was good about them under Pulis. They've, they've lost everything that was good about them under Hughes when mm-hmm. it was going well towards the start of his reign. And it's been terrible. They're losing to League Two Coventry City last weekend in the FA Cup. Uh, they've got caretaker Eddie Nizvecki. Are we going with that pronunciation? We are. It's what Mark Bowen says. <laughs> it's, a so. Polish, it's a Polish surname that we're not quite sure how to pronounce, but he, he's a caretaker. We're not really sure. So confidently, I've made a career well, out of that. So. <laughs> we're not really sure who's going to take over. Kiki Flores has been linked recently yes. in the last few days. Martin O'Neill. We understand Martin that O'Neil. talks back on Wednesday. Yeah, look, it would have been interesting to see whether they'd gone calling back to Pulis had he not taken the Middlesbrough job a few weeks ago as well. But look, I can't see... This is not the game where Stoke City are going to turn around their fortunes. Manchester United, I think, will win this. But well, it's not well, well there, though, either, is it? No, it's not. And Even Jose, they're second. Jose's been very um, preoccupied with his battle with Antonio Conte in, in recent weeks. I'm sure we, we, we haven't heard the end of that as well before the end of the season. But I think United, they're going to win this. It might not have been brilliant football all season at Old Trafford, but they've had a few disappointing draws of late, which is kind of reminding Old Trafford Man United fans of the last couple of seasons under Mourinho and Van Gaal, back to the the old sort of stodgy, very un-Manchester United-like mm. performances. But a player who has been superb over the last month, and it really kicked on, I think, is Jesse Lingard. Scored 11 and assisted a further five goals in all competitions for Man United this season, which is averaging a goal or assist every 88 minutes. And... You know, he he really is a player that when when United have been down and out this season, he's come up trumps in big matches, big important moments, and scored goals. And I can see him doing it again. David Walker on Monday. Talk Sports Football Editor. Thank you very much indeed. Tom Rennie is back after his uh, little mid-season break. He's been yeah. sunning himself. Well, he somewhere. has a lot of them. He does. Yeah. But he will be back for Saturday's game, as we mentioned, Spurs Everton, and then in this slot for the Premier League preview show next week. Until then, I'm Russell Hargreaves. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.